Welcome to the fifth episode of the Cancer in the Developing World podcast series. By 2020, there are expected to be 16 million new cases of cancer every year, 70% of which will occur in the, in the world's poorest countries. This podcast series examines Oxford University's efforts to support the improvement of cancer care in some of these countries. Today we're talking to the Right Honourable Alan Milburn, who's been the MP for Darlington since 1992. As Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, he was coordinator of the Labour Party's 2005 general election campaign. Previously, he was also Secretary of State for Health between 1999 to 2003, Chief Secretary to the Treasury between 98 and 99, and Minister of State for the Health Department between 97 and 98. Alan is also currently Chairman of AFROX, an organisation which was set up by Oxford University to partner with African countries and assist them with implementing comprehensive cancer prevention and cancer control programmes. On a personal level, Alan, how did you become interested in Africa's cancer problems? Well, the person who really alerted me <coughs> to the problem of cancer in Africa was David Kerr, who is Professor of Clinical Pharmacology at uh, Oxford University. I mean, David and I are very old friends. Uh, when I was the Health Secretary, he was very, very helpful to me. Um, helping devise cancer care policy, trying to bring about improvements in cancer services. And David approached me um, about the scale of the problem, really, and with a proposal to establish this new organisation, AFROX, which we've done. And Oxford University has been incredibly helpful, actually, in making it happen. And it was just obvious to me, um, having tried to bring about improvements in cancer care in the UK, that the scale of the problem was entirely different in Africa but in a funny sort of way, many of the solutions uh, were as applicable there as they have been here. Uh, and the most important thing of all, you know, when you're faced with these sort of difficulties and the numbers are obviously horrendous and the scale of the individual suffering is, is appalling, but what often happens in these situations is that people faced with the enormity of these sort of challenges throw up their hands in horror and think that nothing can be done. And of course, the, the trick is, basically to sort of disentangle the problem, to understand what it is, what the scale of the challenge is, then to plan for how, over a period of years, you can bring about improvements. And if you do that, you can bite into the problem quite quickly. And uh, David persuaded me that if we could get a combination of political and policy planning expertise together with clinical expertise, we could make a real difference. Some would argue that there's still so much that needs to be done to improve cancer services in the Western world and that the priority for international support towards healthcare in developing countries should be on combating infectious diseases like AIDS and malaria. Why do you think it is so critical that international support is also given to help improve cancer care in developing countries? Because there's a steam train coming down the track and already AIDS and TB and malaria kill fewer people worldwide than cancer does. But what people often think of when they think of cancer is they sort of think of it as a disease of the affluent, developed Western world, but it isn't. And as the demography of a continent like Africa changes, and basically as people are living longer, as we eat into AIDS and TB and malaria, thanks to all of the efforts that have been made over the last decade, that's great news. But it's bringing in its wake a new problem because people are living longer and long enough now to get cancer. 
and we know this is going to happen. We know that during the course of the next decade or so, there will be a million extra deaths from cancer in Africa unless something is done. Now, the lesson from the AIDS HIV epidemic is that we also knew there was a problem coming down the track and we didn't do anything about it. And we waited and waited and then the world finally acted. Now, it is acting and it is commendable that governments, including the UK government, that voluntary organisations like the Gates Foundation, the WHO and others have put such effort in. But the truth is that because we didn't act early enough to preempt the epidemic, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people have lost their lives. Now we can repeat the same mistake when it comes to cancer, or we can do something about it now. And of course it is absolutely right that AIDS and TB and malaria and the fight against those infectious diseases continues to be a high priority. It must be a high priority, not just for Africa but for the world. In addition to that, however, we also have to start planning and acting to deal with the forthcoming cancer epidemic because otherwise we'll be sat here in 10 years' time and we'll be lamenting the fact that once again the signals were being sent that action needed to be taken and nothing happened and then once again we were behind the curve. And I think one of the absolutely critical things about this is that we need to act now and if we do so we can save a lot of lives because for very modest levels of expenditure we can make a real difference. We know that you know, a third or more of cancer cases in Africa are entirely preventable and we know that at least another third are entirely treatable and we're not talking about fancy high-level technological Western style treatments here. We're talking about very modest preventative screening programs, we're talking about very cheap generic drugs that would make a huge difference to millions of people and part of the purpose here has got to be to get the clinicians and the politicians to act together to take action as soon as possible. In the past year you visited Sierra Leone and Ghana. What most surprised you about the status of cancer care in those countries? Well they're very different countries, I mean they're almost neighbours. Um, in Western Africa, but you know, Ghana is a much more affluent um, uh, country. It doesn't mean that it's affluent by Western standards, um, but it's much better off than Sierra Leone is. Um, Sierra Leone is amongst the poorest countries in the world. Uh, the average life expectancy there is 42. Uh, one in four children die by the age of five. And it is a country that lacks the most basic healthcare infrastructure. There isn't a single oncologist, a single specialist cancer doctor in the whole country. By contrast, Ghana has some rudimentary infrastructure to deal with cancer. Um, you know, and David and I visited uh, the hospital in Accra, uh, the uh, capital of uh, of Ghana, and you know, we're able to visit the children's cancer ward. Um, and see the commendable efforts there of the doctors and nurses and, and other staff. But you're talking about, you know, you see some pretty awful things. You see um, cancers that you wouldn't necessarily see in the West anymore. So Burkitt's uh, lymphoma, for example, which is a um, cancer of children, um, sort of facial cancer that is, you know, awful to, to, to see and we know is immensely treatable, providing intervention happens early, and it doesn't. So, you know, you can't help but be 
affected by what you see there, both in terms of the suffering of individuals, the huge efforts and struggles of healthcare staff, and the total paucity of resources. Um, and yet, in both countries, both in Ghana and in Sierra, in Sierra Leone, there are both clinicians, um, principally doctors, not, not exclusively so, and politicians who want to take action. And part of what AFROX is trying to do is to get the politicians and the clinicians together in these countries to try to build up some rudimentary cancer infrastructure, cancer-fighting infrastructure in those countries. Well, the scale of the challenge is absolutely immense. Um, in the case of Sierra Leone, you are literally starting from scratch. But that doesn't mean that it can't be done, because it can. Um, and there are people on the ground in Freetown, the capital there, who want to make this happen, and you know, David and I and the other people involved in AFROX are trying to make it happen. Um, and I think with uh, a modest amount of effort and a modest amount of resource, you can make quite a big difference. One of the challenges must be that healthcare is operated so differently in African countries. How do you deal with that? Well, I think the really important thing is that if you're in charge of the healthcare system in Ghana and Sierra Leone, you have quite enough on your plate, thank you very much, dealing with malnutrition, malaria, TB, AIDS, HIV, all of those horrendous infectious, infectious diseases. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of the policy makers, the people in charge of health policies, whether it's the ministers or the people running the hospitals or whatever, in one sense, the last thing that they want to hear is that there's yet another health challenge that they face, and yet they know that they do. And so what we try to do through AFROX is, I think, a fairly unique way of trying to deal with this problem, which is that in each country, and we're starting with Ghana, what we do is we work with the Ministry of Health, with the politicians and the civil servants and the clinical experts, and we work with clinicians on the ground to try to devise a cancer plan for each country. Um, why is that important? Because my experience here in, in England was that in our efforts to improve cancer care for patients in our country, our starting point had to be to get a plan together to deal with it because we knew that we had to do something on prevention and on treatment, on public health and public education, on palliation and so on and so forth. But the best way of doing that was to sort of get a plan of action together, which really was a 10-year plan, designed over a period of time to introduce change and improvement. And that is precisely what we're trying to do in the case of Ghana, to devise a plan that might be 10 or might even be 20 years, but gives both the people working in the healthcare system and those responsible for managing the healthcare system a roadmap for action and improvement over a period of time. And I don't think anybody quite does it in that sort of way. So what you're combining is you're combining clinical expertise, hands-on knowledge, including from patient groups. You're combining the, the clinical know-how to get the best things done for the patient. You're bringing to bear all the knowledge that we have accrued over the course of the last 30 years or more in the West about how to deal with cancer, how to fight it and how to prevent it. And we have a huge body of knowledge now and we're trying to bring that to countries that have got this enormous 
problem now on their doorsteps. And then you buy in political support with the, the ministries of health so that they have ownership of the problem. And if you do that, then you've got a plan of action going forward. And then what you can do is begin to disentangle the problem. So you can do a little bit on prevention here. You can get some equipment there. You can train some more staff here. You can bring about improvements in palliation so that people who are dying from cancer are at least dying with some element of dignity and critically without pain. And that way you make progress. It doesn't solve every problem immediately, but you make progress. So once you have a plan, how do you make sure that this country plan is going to be followed through? Well, the critical thing is that the Ministry of Health must own it. It must be their responsibility. Uh, they must feel that they are accountable for delivering it. You know, because when you visit a country like Ghana or Sierra Leone, look, there are a million projects going on and all of them are doing really good work. But in the end, to sustain effort over a period of time, it can't just be people coming in from the outside world to help. People on the ground have got to feel like it is their responsibility to make sure that this thing is implemented. And that's a really difficult thing to do because they've already got so much on their plate and so few resources to be able to deal with it. So it, that's why it is very important that there's political buy-in to, to, to this whole process. And that's what I try to help facilitate amongst the, amongst the politicians. Uh, and then what we try to do is we try to find ways of raising resources whether they're human or financial, uh, help in cash or help in kind, to make different parts of the cancer plan happen in a particular country. So, you know, for example, I was out in Sierra Leone just a, a few weeks ago. Um, one of the obvious problems there sometimes is a shortage of medicines. I've been talking to people here in the UK who have responsibility for producing um, some of these medicines to see whether or not we can find a way on a more cost-effective basis of getting essential medicines out to Sierra Leone. Now that takes quite a bit of coordination and work but it's a small example of what you can do to bring the expertise and resource that we thankfully have in a wealthy developed country like our own and all the knowledge that we've gained over the course of these recent decades and bring those to bear for the people who really need them right now. Um, but in the end, it can only work if it's a partnership. If it's a partnership between those of us sitting here, Afrox, and the people sitting out there who have got to find a way, hopefully with our help, of managing what is an enormous problem. And what do you think some of the key barriers are going to be to improving cancer care in Africa? I think, like you start from, you start from a very very low point. I mean, you start from the problems are huge. One, lack of resources. Um, you know, if you think of something like um, the HP vaccine, which is going to make a huge difference to cervical cancer rates in um, countries like our own. I mean, the cost of introducing that in an African country is just way beyond the budget of, frankly, any African country. Unless, of course, we can do a deal with the HPV manufacturers to bring the price down. So, resource one. T 
two capacity. Is there uh, enough equipment? And critically, are there enough staff who are trained to the appropriate level to be able to do their job? And you've got real problems on, on, on that front. Then thirdly, you've got the sort of what I call the priority problem. The, although cancer is growing uh, and its impact is deadly for too many people uh, in Africa, it's not at the top of the health priority list right now. It probably will be on 10 or 15 years time, but that will be too late. So you've got to address that problem. You've got to sort of get the policymakers to believe that it really matters to take action now. And then fourthly, you've got these issues which are sometimes you know cultural issues that I suppose you know a bit like in in our own country 40 years ago you know people would think that if you got cancer that was a death sentence um, and in Africa many African countries unfortunately that's true it is and so people want to sort of slightly ignore the problem because they think that nothing can be done about it. They think that cancer is incurable and they think that cancer isn't preventable. And of course, what we've learned over the course of the last few decades is that it is both. We can both cure it uh, and treat it and we can take action to prevent it. So you've got a whole range of problems that you've got to deal with. And that's why it's really important that I keep coming back to this idea about you've got to have a plan that disentangles each of these problems. You know, so we know, for example, that on palliation, that very often even the most rudimentary painkillers are not available for people who are in pain. Um, sometimes there are cultural problems about giving people morphine in certain African countries. We've got to tackle these things, and partially the way that we do it is by making available our best knowledge and our best training that we have in this country and make that available for countries like Ghana and Sierra Leone. So, you know, we have very, very good charities here. We have a fantastic NHS doing a lot of this work. And I want some of that expertise to be made available to, to people who, you know, if anything, need more than we do um, in some of these some of these countries. So, you know, the, the scale of the challenge is always enormous with these things. But um, as I say, I think that if you get the right combination of clinical buy-in, political buy-in, you get a concerted plan of action that has a realistic time scale, has realistic outcomes, um, you can actually deliver quite a lot of good. For you personally, how does this challenge of trying to affect change to the healthcare system of a variety of different countries differ to your experience of working with healthcare reform in the UK? Well, it's very different, of course, because you're dealing with um, a different resource base to, to begin with, but also, you know, I'm an outsider and not an insider, but by, by definition, you know, and also I don't pull the levers. You know, when I was the health secretary, I used to think at least, like to think that I did pull some levers if I wanted something to happen, you know, most of the time, not all, um, it happened. Uh, and if I wanted to make fighting cancer a priority or if I wanted you know, new drugs or treatments to be available, or if I wanted to expand the number of cancer doctors and cancer nurses, then I could make that happen. And so it's a different thing that you're trying to bring to bear. You're trying to bring to bear influence and expertise rather than necessarily levers. So in a lot of ways, it's very, very different, but in some ways, it's exactly the same. And, and the important thing 
is to, to understand the most basic thing of all, which is this is a problem that can be tackled. It is not a problem that can't. But in order to tackle it, you've got to have the right plan of action, the right level of resource, and critically, the right degree of commitment and buy-in. Now, if you put those three things together, you can make change happen. So I suppose, in a sense, what I'm trying to do, and I think David and the other people involved in Afrox, and we've got a brilliant board of people, you know, from a variety of sort of backgrounds and expert bringing expertise to bear. What we're trying to do is to bring what we have learned in our different walks of life to bear in a continent where we are strangers, you know, but we know that you know whenever we go there, we're immensely welcomed and we know that there is some good that can be done. Um, so the problem is different, but in a funny sort of way, the solution is probably the same. And what has the response been like so far from Africa, from Sierra Leone and from Ghana? I think uh, what the, one of the things that has really struck me is the uh, I mean, obvious warmth of the welcome, but also the desire to make change happen. You know, people really, really want to do it, in a sense, one of our slight problems is about managing expectations. Uh, Afrox is what it says on the tin. It's a voluntary organisation. It doesn't have resources. All that it has is people's commitment. So what we don't have is zillions of pounds. In fact, we've only got any pounds at our disposal. Um, and we haven't got a whole horse of a legion, an army, of sort of cancer fighters that we can suddenly send into Ghana or Sierra Leone or Rwanda or wherever. We just don't have that. What we have is sort of knowledge and expertise. Um, and we try to bring that um, to bear for, for, to do some good. Um, so the welcome has been, I mean, overwhelming really. I mean, it is very heartwarming and gratifying to see that. And, um, you know, it's very, very humbling because, of course, you know, what, what, um, People are immensely grateful for us actually doing very little, really. Um, but hopefully the little that we do has a reasonably big impact, um, and I think it can. So our problem is not the lack of warmth and welcome. It's not the lack of commitment on the part of either politicians or clinicians to make change happen. It's just a very, very basic thing that we need to get this up the priority list, we need to put some resource behind it, we need to get a plan of action together, and then bit by bit we need to eat away at the problem. And if there's one thing you think that could change to really make a difference in this area, what do you think that would be? I think it is a recognition in the world that just as HIV AIDS and TB and malaria have become a priority, not just for one continent, but for every continent. The same has to happen with cancer, because the figures are stark and terrifying in terms of the impact that this disease is already having and will have in the years to come. But of course, the statistics tell one story. It is the human suffering that tells another. You only have to go um, and visit a children's ward in a, an African hospital to see the most awful tumours and see the distress both of the kids and their mums and then realise that if that child 
had got to hospital earlier or been treated earlier, then they would have stood a fighting chance of living rather than dying to realise that actually it has to be a priority. And it's that more than anything in a funny sort of way. It's sort of, you know, I wouldn't even put money as the number one thing. I'd sort of say the most important thing is just the recognition that this um, disease, which hasn't been tamed in the West, but we certainly now know what to do about it. We know how to prevent it. We know how to screen for it. We know how to treat it. We know how to make good medicines for it. We know which interventions work for it. And we know how to look after people with it. We know all those things. That has been the enormous gain of the last 30 to 40 years in countries like our own, thanks to huge effort on the part of largely the clinical community here. And now what we've got to do is we've got to export that knowledge. Um, and just as we've made gains here, we can make gains there. But we've got to recognise that it's something that we need to do something about. Thank you, Alan.